You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, literally wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at NolaJake on Twitter, here with you all on this Friday, final podcast of the week, and it's the one where I'm going to do the top five moments of the Pelican season. And I thought, you know what? You guys have heard me talk enough this week and over the past couple of weeks. I have brought on numerous guests so far, but let's bring on another one to do the official Locked On Pelicans top five moments of the season that if they're really tracking this over Locked On HQ, you know, we'll have Will Guillory do it and he can do it for me. And that would be a lot of fun. So I texted him. He said he'd come on. He, he was like, yeah, I'll come up with my top five moments of the season. And then he can't, and I figured this would be like 15 minutes. We we're going to get him on the radio or on the radio, on the phone off after he gives us like a countdown. Maybe I was going to put some cool little drum roll moments in there. And then this morphed into something completely different in the most awesome way. Will just flat out killed it. We were supposed to record for like 15 minutes. We went for basically an hour. So guess what? This is an extra long podcast today because it's too good to split up into multiple days, I think, and everything ties so well together. So Will's the guest on the show today, Will Guillory of The Athletic. We're just going to kind of dive right into it, and he's going to give us his top five moments with some honorable mentions of the Pelican season. Joining me now on Locked on Pelicans, I've got beat writer for The Athletic, Will Guillory. Will, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. Just sitting here quarantined away, just locked in the house, staring at the TV all day and all night. But other than that, everything's good. How about you, man? Not not too bad. Everyone is safe and all you can really ask for right now, everyone being healthy with it all. Uh, so at, since the season's been postponed, canceled, suspended, whatever they want to call it right now, have you picked up a basketball at all? Because I know you play pretty regularly. Man, I've been dying to get back in the gym and hoop. Now I got like my little fake basketball, my North Carolina basketball I got from the Nike store. <laughs> uh, we went, but now I haven't touched a real basketball probably since uh, the, the day after we came back from Sacramento after the season was suspended. I think that was the last time I went out and hoop. Man, so that actually what puts you ahead of a number of NBA players though to touch a ball more recently. <laughs> I think I saw Chris Paul said he hasn't like shot at all since warm-ups of that game of the Thunder and Jazz, which is kind of wild to me. I know it's crazy. And some guys live in like apartment complexes. So yeah. gym or to the backyard and hoop it's crazy. I mean I don't really know how, if they, the NBA does start the season, of what they're going to do about getting these guys back in shape or getting them you know, back used to shooting every day. But it's really strange times, man. It's crazy. And, and I know for me, I'm going crazy not hooping. So I can only imagine how these guys have been doing it their entire life, how they're feeling right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's got to be like worse for them, I'm sure, than it is for all of us, where we, you know, maybe have other jobs and stuff to kind of fill a lot of the time, but they can't even do that. But you know, it's going to be interesting to see when when the league comes back, like how rusty are some of these guys, and how bad is the basketball maybe going to look like? You know, when you get those really like sloppy summer league games, I wonder if we might see a little bit of something like that. Yeah, for sure. I think it's definitely going to be some ugly basketball, and, and I think it's going to be really interesting how the league tries to mitigate that uh, as far as like maybe getting one or two games in before they go straight into the playoffs. I don't even know if that's possible, but you you would think, man, just throwing guys straight into the playoffs, those game ones. Oh, <laughs> man. There's going to be some ugly people. And uh, I've been watching some of these old games that have been airing on NBA TV. They probably won't be ugly as some of those old 90s games. Because those games, like, the, the best you could do is, like, 85 points. Yeah. Be, like, a, a great scoring night for the, those old Knicks teams. I don't think it's going to be that bad, but it's going to be some ugly b-ball for sure. Yeah, I, at least I don't think we're, like, traveling back in time to, like, a different era. But it'll uh, be pretty interesting to to see what it what it, what it happens with all of that. Do you think we're going to see some guys come back a little – I don't want to call them fat, but out of shape? Yeah, for sure. I think it's going to take guys <laughs> yeah. some time. I mean, it, it wasn't like – it's not going to – 
I don't think it's going to end up being that long. I think, you know, the guys are going to have some time to get themselves back in shape, and I think it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment period. But I definitely think it's going to be some other basketball. I see some really bad turnovers, a bunch of games where guys are missing like 33 pointers as a team. There's going to be a whole lot of that going on. But I'm telling you, I would take any game with that, that both teams shoot like 35%. I would take that right now in a heartbeat rather than like doing nothing, which is what I'm doing right now. Yeah, I was going to say, you know what? That sounds great to me. That sounds like awesome basketball <laughs> in the face of zero basketball like we kind of have right now. So today's a bit of a special episode here on Lockdown Pels. We're doing an official Locked On at like network top five moments of each team season. So you're seeing this across every show on the network. And I could do my top five. I've talked a little bit about this, but I wanted to get someone else to do this for me. You know, it's tough to come up with our own content right now. So I figure I'll farm it out to someone else. And I, and I think it's you, Will. Um, so do you have a top five for like moments of the season? You, you're ready to roll? I do. I have my top five. And do you have your top five as well so we can see if ours match up or or you just want me to roll? I'll let you roll and and then maybe I'll make mine up on the spot. But I do have a general kind of top five moments and and things like that. And I have a feeling they'll be pretty similar. Um, But let's let you do yours first. I can throw mine in at the end here. So what is your – let's go backwards. So what's the fifth greatest moment of the Pelican season so far? Yeah, if you know me, anytime you give me a list of five things, I got to come up with like eight, seven or eight of them. So I got two honorable mentions before I get into number okay, five. Okay, we can do honorable mentions. I like that. <laughs> My two honorable mentions, number one, I wrote about this right after the season was suspended. And I, I just have to I give a shout out to my guy, No, because uh, I love me some No, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And it, it, and it, it kind of counts. It, it, I guess it's not necessarily a quote-unquote Pelicans moment. But I just thought it was hilarious that we saw Nikhil Alexander-Walker play an entire G League game, only shooting shots with his left hand, hurt his right wrist in the previous game. And I got the stats here. He went uh, he went 10.7 rebounds, five assists, four of 15 from the field, made two threes with his left hand. And I just loved that moment because that was something like we would hear in the 80s. Like, remember when Larry Bird said, I'm only shooting with my left hand this game because I'm, I'm saving my right hand for the next game. That wasn't what Nall was doing, but I just thought, I was like, man, it's 2020, and we got a guy only shooting with his left hand because his right hand is hurt. And it's like, it's one of those things where, man, that probably shouldn't happen. Somebody from the public is probably should have stepped in. Yeah. But I still love the moment <laughs> that it actually happened and that you can pull up those videos and watch them shoot like left-hand floaters and these left-hand fadeaways. And it's like one part of your brain is like, God, no, what are you doing? Like, just sit down. It's a G League game. And the other part is like, this is great <laughs> just to see a guy doing this and actually execute it for an entire game. Yeah, no, I think you're. that's a great moment that I wouldn't have even thought of. And like you, you said, it it kind of harks back to like the 80s, like a tougher style of basketball because we kind of are in the age of like load management. A guy's kind of tired, so they take the night off. They're not necessarily playing through injury as much. And maybe you don't want him to do that. Maybe we've kind of outgrown that concept, and that's a good thing. But it does show he's kind of got that little bit of an edge to him, I think, which is something you don't always see anymore. So that's a really good, that's a good honorable mention. I like that. Yeah, and it's not only just the toughness, of course. I mean, that's a big part of it, but just the skill. I mean, I've seen him shoot a whole bunch of jumpers pregame or at practice with his left hand, and he can shoot both with both hands. And he and we know how much he loves those left hand alley oops to the Jackson Hayes, and he. And he basically kind of kind of Drew Holiday like where he's a right-handed player, but he basically plays left-handed all the time. So it's not so that surprising to see him do it, but it still was crazy to see him play against actual, you know, professional athletes and get it done for an entire game. And just to, to move on to my other honorable mention, I have to shout out, even though this is another guy I love, Kenny Hustle. Everybody knows how much I love me some Kenny Hustle. Yep. <laughs> but man, it was it was so funny to watch Lonzo Ball dunk on him, dunk on his own teammate in Portland, going for that tip dunk, and poor Kenny Hustle got caught in the crossfire. There. <laughs> that was an amazing moment, not only just because just to see a guy dunk on his teammate is hilarious. But Lonzo has mentioned now that that game is passed that that was a huge moment for him because we know how much the, the ankle issue was, was really something he yeah. had trouble moving past uh, early in the season. And he said that moment where he kind of had that highlight play and got up 
really how he had that put-back dunk was a moment where he looked around and said, okay, I'm, I'm starting to feel like myself. I'm starting to jump like old Lonzo. And I think that's when we kind of saw him take off and become the Lonzo we saw during the second half of the season. So I had to shout that moment out because that was a, a big moment for Lonzo, and I thought it was just hilarious to see him dunk on poor Kenny Hustle when he <laughs> got caught wrong place, wrong time. Hey, you know, sometimes you're just catching strays out here on the court, and you know, when it's a good kind of thing like it was for Lonzo, that's a good one too because that really was a turning uh, point for him, and we've started to see him play some exceptional basketball during this time. Also, speaking of Kenny Hustle, his free agency situation is going to be interesting. Like, if, if you had asked me how much he was going to make, you know, after the first, what, 15 games of the season, he was looking like he was going to get a big payday. Then that injury happened, and all of this has now, like, really changed things, particularly if the salary cap drops. Yeah, it, it sucks because, like you said, I thought Kenny was in line for a really big payday. I thought, you know, his role was so important for the team, especially when they really couldn't find somebody to fill that four role, that four-man role with Zion out, and I thought, you know, he was the perfect kind of guy to put on this team where you have all these different scores and all these guys that can create their own shot, and Kenny's just a guy that's going to come out there, and he can play 35 minutes and take two shots, and you feel like he had a huge impact on the game because all the little things he did, getting those offensive rebounds, diving for loose balls, and then people on the perimeter, he can get you like 10 rebounds. I mean, he's one of those glue guys that's a perfect fit for a team like this but I, it just sucks like you said that he had the back injury that kept him out for so long and he was just about to get back yep. right right when this all of this stuff hit and the season got canceled and, and it's going to be really interesting to see how his free agency is handled and what kind of contract they throw ahead of him because I, I can tell you I, the people in the front office love him and, and they feel like he's a, a kind of role but it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, what his health situation is coming out of all of this, being away from the training staff for so long, and then, you know, how he's going to look, how much shooting has he done, because, you know, a big thing with him is that for the month of December, he just couldn't hit a shot. Oh, man, he was and... wide open and couldn't hit any. It was <laughs> it was brutal. Like, it was rough to watch uh, him do that. He, You know, the Pels were basically playing four on five offensively, it felt like, uh, at yeah, times. Yeah, I just think about that uh, Golden State game where Draymond Green was basically just giving him the Tony Allen treatment, where he was just standing in the paint under the rim and just leaving poor Kenny Hustle out there wide open, and they were swinging to him. And you could just see the moment where he's like, man, should I shoot this? Uh, I know it's probably not going to go in, but I got to take it because I'm wide open. Yeah, you like, you still have to rip it, but you want to be in. that used to be called the Lonzo Ball treatment, too, until this season. Right, exactly. And now he's up here putting uh, 40% up. He was going to say, games. So, it's uh, so he, good. So he just put it in the air. Next season, we should have set Kenny Hustle to shoot 40% from three. There we go. Take away from this podcast. Let's, let's be Dundee. optimistic here. Speak it into existence, right? <laughs> Exactly. So uh, now we're moving into the top five. My number five pick, I'm going to go with a sentimental one. This is kind of lame, but I don't care because I think it's really cool. Uh, I just put the, the moment with the Holiday Bros. We got to see all three of them play in one game, a historic moment, uh, something we've never seen in the history of the NBA. Three brothers playing in one game. Drew Holiday, obviously, at the Pelicans, and playing against his two brothers, uh, Justin and Aaron at the Indiana Pacers. Drew's the middle brother, Justin the oldest one. And I was the younger brother, and man, I just thought it was really cool because if you know about that family, man, they're an excellent family. Those parents are so great, uh, and just to see the impact they made on those guys and what type of people they've grown into, and to see them have that moment, I just thought it was exceptional. And I thought, and I just wrote down in particular the second game in Indiana, which was big because also if you know Drew Holiday's wife Lauren is from Indiana, she's known there. <laughs> as well, you know, for all of the things she's done as a soccer star, you know, and to see that game where Drew comes up in a huge way, he took the elbow from Sabonis in yep. the first half, was bleeding all over the place, and still ends up with 31 points, 10 assists, he, he scored 14 points in the last two and a half minutes of the fourth quarter. I mean, he was just unbelievable in that game on both ends, just to do it. With his two bros out there, I just thought that was a really cool moment. Even though it was a night, uh, I wasn't very happy because my my Tar Heels lost to Duke in heartbreaking fashion, <laughs> and I heard it from I heard all about it from a couple of the Duke guys in the locker room. But still, it was a, a great night just to see you know a family achieve something like that. I just thought it was really cool, and I want that a shout out for sure. No, that's that's a nice one, especially with like we all love Drew. He is like just a good person, and so to have those moments, and we've all seen how family oriented he is. So to have a you know a moment that probably means more to him than maybe some others potentially out there on the court. 
I think is really cool too. And that game was big. They didn't have Zion. They didn't have Ingram in this mm-hmm. game. And that's where Drew Holiday's got to step up and deliver, and he did. So it's just a good moment all around. In a big way. He had to create every shot there in the fourth quarter. He was defending uh, Malcolm Brogdon on the other end. I mean, he was huge. He had such a big impact on that game. And, uh, I mean, it was just a big night for the Pelicans for sure. You're exactly right to get that win on the road against a really good yeah, Indiana team. team. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a big-time win. And moving on to number four here, I couldn't decide on one, so I just wrote down every Lakers game. <laughs> because, I mean, it just felt like all of those games, the, the emotions were through the roof. It felt like all of them were really close to the fourth quarter. Maybe one of them, that second Lakers game, they got a little, it got a little away from the Pels early, and they kind of cut it down a little bit at the end. But, man, just being in the building for those games and just the environment, whether it was here in New Orleans with all the booze, for AD and LeBron are in LA where, where you got all of these stars in side and just seeing, man, just, just the way those two teams went at it this season with all of the stuff going on in the background and all of the talk, uh, you know, between the media and all of that stuff with AD in the past, just seeing those teams. And I think if I had to pick one, I would probably say that Mardi Gras day game where it was the first time Zion went against the Lakers with AD and Braun. You know, B.I. finishes with 34. Zion has 29. Lonzo almost has a triple-double. AD has 21 and 14. LeBron has 40. I mean, just an unbelievable game. So fun. The only bad part about it is that I wasn't there. Oh, <laughs> no. I was here in New Orleans riding the Mardi Gras parade, so I didn't see it. I, I don't I know if that means it's home. a bad thing then, right, if you're riding at least on Mardi Gras Day. Yeah, it was a, it was not a great thing for me that night because I was half drunk <laughs> watching the game. I was trying to fight sleep. I was trying to stay up to watch the game and do my job. But, man, I, I just couldn't fall asleep on that game because it was so fun to watch just all of that talent on the court. Zion going at AD, LeBron having another classic LeBron game. And just, man, it's, it was so fun to watch just the way those two teams performed and how much emotion was in that game. Just every game between those teams was so fun. I think that was the best games all year was whenever the, the Lakers went against the Pelicans, I think. No, those are good. So that, that second Laker game, the one on Mardi Gras Day, AD was like scared of Zion at a couple points during that one. He, you know what, I think you said he had 2014. I forget the exact numbers. He, not the most efficient game for him. And it was kind of this like eye-opening moment of Zion defending a great offensive player and doing a very, very good job of it to the point that Anthony Davis was just passing, getting the ball out of his hands because he was wanting no part of it, which kind of gave you like a flash forward moment of what is this kid going to look like in three, four, five years, able to dominate at that kind of level. And then that first game, the day before Thanksgiving, which is a low-key, really good basketball day, basketball night. That was an atmosphere, and we've had a couple of those this season. Like, I don't think I've ever experienced that in 10-plus years of basically oh, being at every single game in the Smoothie King Center for the Hornets-Pelicans. It was, That was something. Man, the, uh, the, the booze running down on yeah. AD is something I'll never forget. Every time he touched the ball, it, it was so hilarious. I just remember a couple moments where the ball was just kind of swing around a three-point line of AD have his big thing coming out of that third game was the fact that Zion was able to handle AD because the big storyline coming out of the first two was that AD was just dominating yeah, the he looked good. those first two games. He was unbelievable. He scored 41 in the first game in New Orleans. I think he had 46 the second time they mm-hmm. played. He had the, the huge alley-oop dunk in L.A. where he stretched out. That was probably one of his best plays of the season. And he had the huge steal in New Orleans to end the game, hit the big free throws. Uh, I mean, he was just unstoppable in those first two games. And to see the way Zion was able to handle him, body him up. And you saw, I mean, uh, evidently, you know, LeBron had to take over, ended up scoring 40 because AD just didn't really want to go at Zion. And then Zion, uh, that was a really huge moment for him to be in that environment in L.A. So many cameras around. Everybody's waiting for this moment. And he comes out of sports 29, goes right at LeBron and AD. Uh, I think you're exactly right. That was a, a moment where we all kind of looked around and said, man, this kid is ready, and he's he's prepared for this stage, and he's showing up in a big way on both sides of the court. And that was a little preview of what we could come to expect for him going into the future and just how he can perform on the biggest stage. And, and it says a lot about a kid that young getting thrown into the fire in the middle of the season and still being able to perform as well as he did. 
So we'll come back with Will's number three moment and beyond here in just a second. But don't forget, subscribe to Locked On Pelicans wherever you get your podcast from. Still here with you all every week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, breaking down everything you want to know, getting on the guests that you want to hear, and just trying to have a little bit of fun and make your day a little bit brighter wherever you are. So subscribe to Locked On Pelicans wherever you get your podcast from. That was number four. I just broke every Lakers game. Yeah, so every Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. And it's your list. It's allowed to, to be whatever you want. Yeah, it's my list. I, I could just put all 82 for number three. But no, I won't do that. I, I'm going to do number three. Uh, it's just a, the iconic picture of J.J. Redick with that left hand raised into the air. The game winner in Sacramento. Uh, one of the, the funnest games of the season. Uh, the first time the, the Pelicans went to Sacramento this year, unfortunately, the second time was the game that ended up getting canceled right before it started. Uh, I think that's probably what people will remember most about the Pelicans in Sacramento this year. Uh, but, man, that J.J. game winner was unbelievable. Such a fun game. I remember the Pels getting out to such a big start in that one, and then the, the Kings end up roaring back in the end. The unbelievable B.I. foul, I think it's something that will just be forgotten in history, but I just remember just – slapping my forehead and just being <laughs> just uh, not knowing what was happening when B.I. Files, files, I believe it was Bajelica, uh, Bielitsa, I don't yeah. know how to pronounce his name. Yeah, Bielitsa. And he ends up, and he ends up hitting the four-point play to tie the game. I mean, it was just a, a classic first half of the season Pelicans play where you just know they've got the game in hand and they end up doing something in the end to screw it up. And get <laughs> Making it way closer than it, it should be. Oh, my God. It was just typical first half of the season Pelicans. And then J.J. Reddick comes in with this unbelievable scoop shot off the glass, and he gives them the quarter of the year afterwards saying, yeah, I just had to dig into my bag and pull out something, you know, just to let people know I still got it. And I think uh, another part of that game that I think will be forgotten is the fact that, man, J.J. Reddick is such a professional. I looked it up right before the call. He literally sat the entire fourth quarter of that game, didn't play one minute until – 30 seconds left. He comes. They sub him in for an offensive possession. He misses a three. They sub him back out. Offense defense situation. So he comes in with 30 seconds left. Misses a shot. Sits down. Di fouls the elite so to, to tie the game. They sub him back in, and then he hits the game winner. So that, I mean, that tells you all about JJ Redick. What type of professional he is. How he can just turn it on whenever the team needs him, and he just stepped up in a huge way for when the Pelicans really needed. I think it was a, a huge moment for that team because they struggled so much, you know, during the first half of the season to get a win like that on a shot like that. I, I think it was a huge moment for them and a, and a big moment for J.J. to kind of ingratiate himself with this team and show what he can do. So I didn't realize that was the sequence of events late in the fourth quarter, that one, and I pulled it right now. You're right. He played 18 seconds in the fourth quarter. That's it. 18 <laughs> seconds officially in the fourth quarter. Not 20 seconds, not 30 seconds, not even a minute. 18 seconds in this one, and he hit the game winner. That is actually a very cool part of that story that I didn't even realize, and I'm sure probably most other people didn't realize. And it shows you how much more clutch that, that, that scoop shot was. Yeah, and again, it just tells you – uh, all about J.J. Reddick, because uh, that wasn't the first time we saw that this year. I think we've seen several times where they kind of sat J.J. Reddick, because there's certain nights, you know, where J.J. will play big minutes and certain nights where yeah. he just doesn't have it, and they won't play him for basically the entire fourth quarter. They'll give Josh Hart a lot of those minutes, or maybe Nall Frank Jackson will get some of those minutes, and, and it's not really that big a deal. It's just one of those things where sometimes he'll get these minutes and sometimes he won't, but I think in big moments where they need a shot, they always want to get J.J. in because you know he's always prepared. He's always ready for the moment. And I think a lot of times, I would say basically the vast majority of the league, if they sat the entire fourth quarter and you put them in at the end to take a big shot, there's no way they can come up with that type of shot that J.J. did. And it tells you all about him and the work he does. And he told us after the game about, you know, how he worked on that shot all the time before games with uh, the younger guys, the kill Alexander Walker and Frank Jackson and how he's always working to improve the parts of his game. He feels like maybe a weakness or maybe uh, stuff that he, he hasn't necessarily used in the past. So he said that's a shot that he practiced all the time, and he felt really comfortable taking it. And once he saw Rashawn Holmes running at him, he knew that was the exact shot he was going to put up. And, man, it was gorgeous when it went in. And in that celebration, it's just something that's going to go down forever in my mind, just seeing him running down with that left hand in the air and the bench going crazy. Uh, I mean, it was just a, a great night for sure.
So JJ Reddick, not only, you know, so it shows you how much of a true professional he is right there, but also look at you being a true professional, adding all sorts of context around hey, come one on, little shot. That was awesome, man. <laughs> <laughs> come on, that's why I'm here. I got to make sure my five is doing good. I got to match up to what your five was. I know you, you brought out something good for your five. Oh, man. So, I don't uh, even know if I'm going to read them off now after kind of getting <laughs> this list from you here. Like, they don't have that much context and depth around them. I just have some moments where I was, like, screaming. Look at you, though. This is like, this is the look. People love basketball. If you want, like, diehard content like that, man, Will has you covered here. Come on, man. I, I miss basketball. So when you told me we were doing this, I just went through the the, the, uh, the schedule and looked through the game logs. I was like, oh, man, I'm just reliving all of these moments, and you made me miss basketball even more. So uh, now moving on to number two, I, I think there's no doubt we had to shout out this moment. I think this might have been the, the maybe the most fun game of the season. Probably number one would classify, but I think maybe the, the funnest game just to go back and watch was the BI 49-point game against Utah Obviously, that was such a huge matchup in New Orleans, maybe not for the rest of the country, but in New Orleans, the the, the New Orleans fans were fired up for that one. Because Just on the heels the previous, of that other jazz game, yep. The other Utah game where B.I. drives to the lane and gets fouled, except there was no whistle, and the, the NBA comes out the next day and says there should have been a foul, and B.I. should have had a chance to win the game, or was it the title game, I don't remember at the free throw line. So then the, the Pelicans fans were just all fired up to get that Utah team back in the Smoothie King Center and get what they felt like was a win they deserved. And all of a sudden, what do you know, it comes down to another big foul late in the game uh, that ends up swinging that thing and sending it to OT. But, man, just that fourth quarter, I just remember watching Donovan Mitchell and B.I., these two young guys who everybody sees so much star potential and those guys and what they can become down the line. And we just saw it really all come together for them in such a huge way. B.I. finishes the game 49. Donovan Mitchell has 46. I wrote down B.I. had 14 in the fourth quarter. Mitchell has 13. And if you guys got a chance to go back and just watch that game on league pass, just go to the fourth quarter and just watch the shots that these two young guys are hitting, man. It's unbelievable the show they put on late in that game, just hitting shot after shot. And then, of course, B.I. hits the quote-unquote game winner to fade away right in front of the Pelicans bench, a moment that if you watch Pelicans games, you've seen that a hundred times, him screaming and Josh Hart running in and punching him in the chest. <laughs> I mean, it was such a huge moment for him to hit that shot because, I, I mean, he, that was really his biggest shot up to that moment in a Pelicans uniform and, and such a huge moment for him and that team and just to see the way they battled in that game, again, against a playoff team, a really quality Utah team that was playing a great game. Donovan Mitchell, again, was unbelievable that night. And to see the way the Pelicans team showed so much heart to get that win and B.I., the biggest game in his career, uh, I think that's definitely got to be up there for the biggest moments of the season for sure. Yeah, that was a bit of a moment where I think people around the league knew he was having a great year and that he's in the running for most improved. You know, he's a borderline all-star at that point. And that was kind of the, like, he's arrived moment. Uh, and then doing it over Rudy Gobert, who he hit the game when he shot over, had to make everyone here yeah. in New Orleans feel so much better. I love this one because David Locke, who's the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, is the head of the Locked On Podcast Network here. So beating the Jazz is always a little bit more fun for me, so I can talk a little bit of trash to him too. <laughs> and also, yeah, Rudy Gobert's whiny and annoying, and to see him lose the game like that is a very good feeling. Oh, man, it was great. And a, and a really great part of, about that moment as well, if you go back and watch the highlights, uh, when B.I. hits that shot, I want you to look at the bench at Zion Williamson, who was out that night in a suit. And just when B.I. hits that shot, just look at how Zion goes freaking nuts, loses his mind, is screaming at the top of his lungs. He he just out of his mind, unbelievably happy for B.I. And, that's a, and that was just a glimpse into, you know, the attitude of this team and how much these guys rooted for each other and rooted for each other's success. And they love to see the next guy make a big play. And I think that was a kind of a storyline late in the season where people were trying to make this Zion versus B.I., uh, you know, thing into something that was there was like some hidden animosity between B.I.'s the real all-star, but Zion's <laughs> getting all the attention and a whole bunch of, you know, nonsense that we get during the course of the NBA season. But I think that moment right there, just go watch 
the bench and look at Zion's reaction after B.I. hit that shot. And that tells you all that you need to know about the relationship between those guys and how much Zion just loves to see the other guys on the team succeed. And I think that was a huge difference between this team and the teams we've seen in the past. The way that these young guys all root for each other and they all love the moments they have. And we all love that the, the, the kill Alexander Walker memes and him sleeping on the bench and, you know, the, the Drew Holiday screaming after some of the big shots. But I think it says a lot about this team and how much they love being around each other and they love to root for each other. And I think that's such a big part of success and growing culture. And I think that was something that shifted with this year's team. And that was a moment right there when you saw it, you know, front stage where B.I. hits the big shot and the guy that was most happy for him was Zion, even though he was out that night because he just wanted to see his teammate hit a big shot. So that is one of the most underrated things when it comes to watching basketball. And this was told to me by someone who works in an NBA front office was if you really want to learn about the makeup of a team, the chemistry and all of that, watch these guys on the bench when someone makes a shot and are they up jumping Mm -hmm. up and down celebrating? Are they making noise or are they just kind of sitting down and kind of half-ass clapping for their teammate? And when it tells you a lot about what they think of their teammates, like who's a good presence in the locker room, maybe who isn't, and also kind of what's going on. So you, that moment that you're talking about there shows you the culture that they're building, which is a point that David Griffin really talks about and talked about from that introductory yep. press conference. They are building that in the right way that they want. Absolutely. I think you're 100% correct. And I think that's something I always watch during big moments of games, how the bench is reacting. If you want to see a difference, watch the bench reaction after that B.I. shot. And then I don't know if we're allowed to mention his name. I guess we did a little bit earlier on the podcast. But watch the, Anthony, watch the Anthony Davis dunk last year. Remember the big dunk he had over Jared Allen early yeah. in the season, the dunk where he actually hurt his elbow? It was only maybe, what, five or six games into the season. It was yeah. very early before we even knew all of this stuff behind the scenes. But watch the bench reaction after that dunk, and it was looked like somebody was just waking up half of the bench from a nap after that huge dunk. And just you, I think that should have gave us an early glimpse into what was going on behind the scenes with that team where they barely even reacted to this huge dunk by Anthony Davis and then and then compare that to the way the bench reacted to B.I. hitting that big shot, which probably should have been the game winner against Utah but ended up not being. But yeah. I, I think that was that tells you the difference between those teams and just the culture in the locker room. And I think uh, if we're bringing it to number one, I, I think it's no doubt what that was. <laughs> it probably be number one on everybody's list. Yeah. The Zion debut, uh, I think it was – Man, uh, I've been to Pelicans playoff games. I was there when they swept the Portland Trail Blazers. I was there when they they blew out Golden State in the second round. I was there when they beat uh, San Antonio to, to get into the playoffs. And I tell you, I've never been in the Smoothie King Center and seen it like it was that night for Zion's debut, particularly in that fourth quarter where he hits those four threes and he scores 17 straight points. It was pandemonium. That's the only it was thing nuts. I can describe it as. It was unbelievable. To say that was a regular season game in January, that crowd was going nuts for that game. And I can tell you, uh, usually the rule on press row is no cheering in the press row, but, man, we couldn't help but go crazy right along with the fans because it was just unbelievable to see what that guy was doing. After the first one, we kind of all looked around at each other and was like, whoa, okay, Zion, you're shooting threes, huh? And, you know, up to that point, he was kind of struggling. I couldn't even really get shots off up to that point. And then he hits the second one, and we're like, whoa, this is going crazy. And then by the fourth one, I was falling all over Scott Kushner. Uh, Andrew Lopez was holding me back like we were at the dunk contest. It was just unbelievable to be in that building. And it was just, again, just an early glimpse into what Zion Williamson, the energy he brought to this franchise and to that building, a place where last year we were there, you know, after the, the Anthony Davis side oh, during those late season awful. games in March and April. It was terrible awful. in there. I mean, it was just so bad. And just to think, you know, less than a year later that it looked like that, you know, that night – uh, of Zion's debut is, is crazy to think how, how much things changed during the course of about 10 months. Yeah. And just to see the energy in the building that night and just to see him going crazy in his debut. I mean, the guy in his NBA debut was getting MVP chance <laughs> from the yep. home crowd and going crazy against a, a really good San Antonio team. Again, a, a night where Marcus Aldridge was unbelievable. DeMar DeRozan hit some big shots in that game. And I just think there's no question the biggest biggest night of the season was Zion's debut and just to see him show up on that stage the way he did and hit all of those shots, it, it was a great night for the franchise for sure. So it's probably 
no spoiler alert here to say that that is my number one moment of the season two. As you said, <laughs> it's probably for everybody. That was that was something because the Spurs came out and like were actively trying to take Zion out of the game. He didn't get going yeah. until the fourth quarter. They had a good game plan to not get beat by him. They were content maybe to lose uh, from Ingram or someone else playing. But not from Zion. They didn't want to get embarrassed on his debut. Popovich knew what he was doing in this one. And they did contain him. He was having a bad night. And then he ripped that three in the fourth quarter. And you're like, really? Okay, man, he's having a good game if he's taking threes here because he should not be doing this. Then it goes in. And you're like, all right, cool. You know what? You made it. In hindsight, take that shot. Hits the, he takes the second one. And you're like, all right. Okay, it goes in. And you're like, Cool. He takes the third one, and you're like, yeah, please, take it. Go ahead, shoot. And then he hits the fourth <laughs> one, and everyone's jumping up and down. Everyone was standing. Everyone's jumping up and down. It was the closest thing, I think, we've had in the Smoothie King Center to like a college, like a big-time college game where yes. the students have been sleeping out overnight to get into the arena to get tickets, and they are going to go nuts for the entirety of the game. And that's what it felt like in there. Absolutely, and I, I remember tweeting that night during the first, qu- first, first quarter, I was like, man, it was the most pop thing forever for Zion to get his first touch of his career and the Spurs on a double team ass. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that is so pop to be like, yeah, I, this is supposed to be about Zion tonight, but nah, it's not going to happen. This is not going to be Zion's night. And it still ended up turning out to be Zion's night, even though the Pels lost that game because Lamarcus Aldridge was just unbelievable. I think that's the one thing that got lost from that game. All of the storylines was about Zion and the shots he hit, but LaMarcus just killed Derek Favors that night, and we know Derek Favors is a really good defensive player, but he couldn't do anything with LaMarcus Aldridge that night, but man, just seeing Zion, you know, come back after the slow start and the, the minutes restriction, you know, <laughs> we, we talked a whole lot about the minutes restriction, and just and the, the legendary moments from that night was watching Nicola Melli walk up to the scores table, and then he gets called back. Derek Favors walks up yep. to the scorer's table, and he gets called back. And then the crowd just keeps going. And then Lonzo, every time he comes down, he's just giving it straight to Zion every single time. And Zion, like, here's Zion, still take it back. And it's like, no, it's your ball. You're going to shoot this ball. And I think that's one of my favorite things about Lonzo is he's like, yeah, if you got it going, I'm going to give you the ball. I don't care if you don't want it. It's yours. Here, take it. I'm going to just keep on giving it to you and see how long we can keep this thing going. And the, uh, you just felt the energy in the arena. You felt how much his teammates wanted to see him have that moment. And once he got going, Lonzo just did everything he could to make sure that moment can keep going as long as it could. And, man, it was just unbelievable to see a guy show up that big in his debut and do it in the way he did. I mean, we know all about Zion as being one of the better post-up players in the league already in his rookie year. He's so good on offensive rebounds, and he's so good in transition. But to see him hit four three-pointers in one quarter, basically in a two-minute stretch during the first game of his career, is something we never thought we would see from this guy. And it says so much about the potential he has and just how much talent he has in that 285-pound body and just what he can do on the basketball court. And it was just an early glimpse in the man. This guy is special. And he's a once-in-a-generation type of guy, not just because of the talent, but because of the way he lives up to the moment. And that's what I tell everybody about him. Zion embraces the moment unlike any young guy I've seen in a long time. And and the bigger the stage, the better he plays. And that says something about a kid who's still so early in his career and still has so much to do to improve his game. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And even with the Pelicans struggling in the clutch this year, seeing him kind of come through in some of these moments and really step up in big game situations at least has to make you feel a little bit better that maybe that won't be the case in subsequent seasons, you know, maybe whenever we get those played, uh, hopefully on time. But that's a very good point. And having a guy like that who is ready to kind of be the star, to rise to the moment, and kind of be that main guy on the team is a very good thing. And that's what you want out of a guy like him. So it's cool to see. And that game was a whole lot of fun. I think everyone probably has that number one on their list. All right, coming up, my top five moments of the season, much briefer than Will's is. He's also got some quarantine recommendations for you to have a little bit more fun on today's edition of Locked On Pelicans. But before we get that, it was the draft yesterday. I'm recording this before the Saints made their selection. I'm going to probably need to know more about this dude, whoever it is, and I'm going to tune into Locked On Saints to get that with Ross Jackson breaking down everything you want to know about the newest first-round pick for the Saints, uh, which should be a lot of fun because we need... Um, to listen to more things like that, especially now when we're stuck inside, get to know the newest Saint member of the Saints very well with Ross Jackson and the Locked On Saints podcast. So, all right, am I counting down from one to five now, or should I start at five? 
Yeah, it goes to go five to one. Same five to one. Okay, so that's number one. There's no surprise there. But number five is kind of in a similar vein, and I think that is the earthquake at Summer League in Zion's debut. Because mm. what a way to arrive on the stage um, with that. He had those huge moments right in the beginning. They're not playing him anymore. And we're kind of disappointed. And then that earthquake happens, which maybe, you know, is just some sort of sign of things to come. And <laughs> the first earthquake I ever experienced. I was about life. to ask, had you ever been in one before? Never in my life. I just felt the floor shaking. And I'm looking around like, what's going on? And then I was sitting next to uh, Tanya from the LA Times. And she's just like, oh, yeah, it's an earthquake. And I'm like, what? what, what? It's an earthquake. <laughs> And she's like, yeah, you know, it's just a little small one. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We got to get out of here. And then, like, my phone stopped blowing up. Yeah, it was uh, crazy. Yeah, just what a way to start the Zion era officially on the court, I thought, was, like, really something. I'm from L.A., so, like, earthquakes don't scare me near as much. I remember texting with Kushner that night, and he was like, I booked it out of there. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, it makes sense (laughs) if you've never been in those before. Um, But that was, like, quite a moment, I think, to kind of see. So the next one I have on this list is, so number four would be the win over Boston back on the day that Kobe Mm -hmm. died in the plane crash, because that moment was filled with so much emotion. Uh, I remember seeing you and everyone else there and no one wanted to be at the arena and we're not even playing in a game. You know, we, we're, we're not even carrying the weight that some of these players are. So for the Pelicans to go out and beat a very good Boston Celtics team, 123-108. Now, they didn't have Jason Tatum playing in that game, but it's okay. Uh, They still had, you know, Kemba Walker, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart all playing in that one. To go out and, like, really beat that team pretty handily, uh, I think kind of shows you some of, like, the mental makeup of this team and some of the guys that we have here. Maybe it goes back to that chemistry discussion, too. You have some... Very solid players, not just with their play on the court, but everything else they bring. So to rise to that occasion, Drew Holiday stepping up and really leading the team in that game, scoring 25 points, I think says a whole lot about a number of the guys that they have here. And so that was just a big emotional day. But to get that win made things feel a little bit better. Yeah, and, I, and what I love so much about that night and what I'll always remember is the Drew Holiday quote and the locker room. Oh, so good. Night. The night where I know I don't, I don't think I last the entire game or even broke a smile just because I was so hurt. I, I was I'm I was gonna say I was I'm still such a huge Kobe fan yep. and that's probably my favorite player I ever got to watch and I was so hurt that entire day just you know dealing with that and seeing all the news clips and seeing all the all the stuff people saying on Twitter about Kobe and getting the little bits of news we were getting about you know the people on the the helicopter with him and all of that stuff. And then they hear Drew Holiday say in the locker room afterwards, hey, uh, there's no way we were going to lose this game. Uh, no way Kobe was going to allow the Celtics to get a win the night he passed. Yep. And I just thought, <laughs> man, that was so perfect to hear you because he was right. I mean, there's no way oh, not the a Celtics could win the day Kobe passed away. I mean, there's no way. So I just thought that was perfect. And it was just a good moment, not only just to kind of reflect on Kobe, just, just but also just for everybody just to get a little bit of a laugh and just to get a smile and. And just remember the good things we loved about Kobe, just that competitiveness and that rivalry with the Celtics. And just to see the Pels get a win, exactly, you're exactly right. And just to kind of handle a really good Celtics team. And, you know, that was the night also where uh, Lonzo had the, the inbounds, alley-oop yep. to the Zion, which was a huge play. And, man, that was a really big game for the Pels. And, and that was another moment where we were kind of looking around and say, okay, I mean, maybe this team is good enough to make a run down the stretch. And that, those are the type of wins you need to kind of build that confidence. No, absolutely. And, you know, that's a very good point. And it's you've also got to mention that, you know, three of these guys played for the Lakers very recently when Kobe was still all around him for them to step up to, I think, is also a very big thing. So that was I don't know. Just it was a weird day, a weird night, a weird game. But one that like looking back on it now was at least very meaningful to me. And I think to a lot of people, too. So moving on to number three, I've got kind of a tie for things here. So I'm cheating a little bit. I've got the Jackson Hayes dunk against the Chicago Bulls back in the, um, <laughs> February where uh, off that J.J. Redick missed three and then Redick's reaction is what makes this yeah, so much say, better. Yeah, I was going to say, what was better, the dunk or the reaction? The reaction. The reaction is what makes this <laughs> so much better that he just goes right to the ground after Hayes puts that back with just his ridiculous arms, his ridiculous hops. That was so much fun to watch. And then kind of keeping in the similar vein is, 
you know, there's a couple of these, so I just lump them all together. It's those, you know, touchdown passes from Lonzo to Zion for the alley-oop right after, you know, the inbound or what have you, I think have been so much fun to watch this year. Oh, yeah, unbelievable. And I think we saw, like, what, two or three of them in that last game against Minnesota where Lonzo just threw it from, like, three-quarters court. And it's just unbelievable to see it in person. I think the funniest thing is when we're in road games and you're sitting next to the road media and they've never seen this before. I mean, it got to the point where it wasn't that surprising to us anymore and to kind of see the reaction and see the faces of other people when they see it for the first time. It's like, oh, my God. Like, they're really doing stuff like this in NBA games. It's crazy, and uh, I think everybody kind of talks about Zion's athleticism when we look at those plays, but, man, just Lonzo's precision on his passing and just how good he is and the way he's able to connect with Zion on those plays. But not just not just the, the half-court lives, but just it seems like those guys, the connection they were able to develop basically from the first day they played together, it was just yeah. unbelievable. And just Lonzo is so good at putting the pass exactly where it needs to be for Zion, and you saw – in those plays, those half-court lapses, how much they complement each other and how much they, they they enjoy playing together and how fun it is to see those two guys on the court. I think you're exactly right. I, I think that that's something we're always going to take away from this first season is seeing those guys connect the way they did on some of those big plays. They developed that in like the first preseason game, I think, that chemistry and everything. And it's nice that they were able to really rebuild that and carry a lot of it over even after kind of a, a gap in there with Zion being out and – Zion makes things easy for a number of reasons for a number of different guys, but you still have to have a guy who actually makes these type of passes because not everyone can do that. And so it just shows you how special the connection those two guys have. So that Hayes dunk, the JJ reaction, and then all of those like full court things have been really, really fun. And then my second moment is one you had mentioned as well, and that is the Brandon Ingram 49-point game, just dueling it out with Donovan Mitchell was so much fun. That is just a moment where if you love basketball, watching two guys just go head to head like that and not doing it in like the rising stars game, which we used to see where it's two guys just take all the shots and just kind of have a little bit of fun with it. But to do it in a game that mattered has some implications at the time on the standings, particularly after the jazz game before that with Rudy Gobert and all of that. That was really special and really fun. And you had mentioned it. Pelicans fans wanted that one so badly. And Brandon Ingram delivered. Had to go to overtime to do it, but delivered to get it to that point. And I think that's really big and kind of showed the growth of him uh, for everything this season. Absolutely. And to throw in another one of my, my nerdy details that I looked up in the game log before I gave before I, uh, <laughs> you called me, I think one of the, the parts, and I wrote this after that game, one of the parts that really made that night special for Brandon Ingram and showed his growth was the fact that he hit all of those big shots in the fourth quarter, obviously the big one late to put them ahead, which should have been the game winner. And then we get to OT, and he didn't hit a shot the entire OT, but he hit he got three assists. I remember he opened uh, overtime, I believe, with that little dump off to, to Jackson Hayes, and then he hit a few free throws there late to put it away. But I think that shows you a lot about his growth, that it was all about the shots he was making in the fourth quarter, but when it came to OT, it was him making plays for others that really made the difference in that game. And they started sending so many bodies at him. And I think even the the, the prior season, I think Brandon Ingram probably wouldn't have been able to make those plays or probably wouldn't even saw them the way he did in OT, but I think he grew so much this year as a playmaker and was able to make other guys around him better. And I think that was a big part of his growth into an all-star this year was not just him making shots. And of course he, he was so much better shooting threes and so much better from the free throw line. But I think his overall court vision and his ability to make the people around him better uh, was a huge part of his growth this season. You really saw that, saw that in the, the overtime of that game. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And you kind of mentioned it earlier, too, that, you know, a lot of people kind of wanted to maybe build a rift between Zion and Ingram. And that's not a thing whatsoever. We can shoot that concept down. But there had been at times, you know, a question of can they coexist as basketball players out on the court and figure some things out. And in a game like this, even though, um, you know, what Zion didn't did Zion play in this one or was it the other one he didn't play in? No, I don't think he played in either one. Yeah, he didn't play in either, right? Yeah, because we were waiting to see if he'd come back. So for Ingram to kind of shift roles in overtime like that, I think shows you that even if there's a little bit of growing pains in chemistry on the court between these guys, they're such good players and they can fill so many different roles that they'll be able to adapt and this should not be a problem going forward. 
Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think we saw uh, the versatility in B.I. this year, and I think we saw a lot of versatility in Zion as well. And I think those guys are very unselfish, not only in just their nature, but just the way they play the game. Uh, I think that's what's going to make their fit so good. And obviously Brandon's you know, growth as a three-point shooter is going to make a big difference because of the space he's going to be able to provide for Zion. And we know how much he dominates in the paint whenever Zion is able to get that ball anywhere around the rim. But I think you're exactly right. I think that there was some concern about their fit going into the season, but the fact that Ingram grew so much as a passer, I think kind of alleviated a lot of those concerns. And I think it's going to be really fun to watch those guys for years kind of running that pick and roll late in games yep. and seeing how teams can really deal with that because we know what type of score B.I. is. And if you kind of send too much attention his way, Zion will kill you around the rim. So, man, it's going to be a lot of fun over the next years, kind of seeing those guys grow, not only as individual players, but growing together and kind of feeding off of each other. And you saw a little bit of that in this game, even though Zion wasn't playing. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And we've seen flashes of that from Ingram before with the Lakers, too, but he's really kind of taken it to another level this season. What I love about this is this was supposed to be like, I don't know, 15-minute segment. I was going to get you in and out and go on with your day, and we've gone for like an hour now talking about this. So <laughs> that's awesome, and you came in and absolutely killed it today can with the top five. Can you tell basketball at all? Yeah, I can tell a little bit. You're probably like, oh, yeah, I get to research and look some things up. I mean, you came in with like just dropping knowledge here. Well, this was awesome. Um, before I let you go, do you have any quarantine recommendations for things you've been watching, listening, reading, what have you? Oh man, uh, I I I probably be the like the millionth person to, to recommend <laughs> Tiger King and Money Heist. Uh, definitely watching those. Uh, I finished up Money Heist. Uh, man, I love that show. Uh, I, I haven't seen that Ozark. one yet. I I only heard about this the other day, so that's now on my list of things. Oh my god, it's amazing. I, I love Ozark. That that was amazing. Uh, I got to watch one of my favorite movies, A uh, City of God. I don't know how many people saw that. It's a movie, one of those uh, movies with subtitles. If you can deal with the subtitles, then that's an excellent movie. So I would suggest that one as well. Uh, but, yeah, a whole lot of TV series, a whole lot of movies for me, and just watching a whole bunch of old basketball games. That's pretty much my entire day <laughs> these days. There, look, there's worse things. There's worse ways to live. I'm assuming you watched The Last Dance as well? Uh, I did, yeah. That was amazing. Uh, I definitely loved that. And, I, and I, there's these leaks going around where people are uh, leaking to all of the future episodes and trying to dodge those as much as possible. Yeah, you want to be surprised, right? <laughs> yeah, man. Don't spoil them for me. I just want to watch them live with everybody else. Uh, that'll it'll be a lot of fun it is definitely like an event on sunday night so everyone will guillory of the athletic you can follow him on twitter at will guillory will thanks for taking the time with me man absolutely man anytime you need me all right that's going to do it for this edition of locked on pelicans big thanks to will guillory of the athletic again follow him on twitter if you don't already at will guillory also subscribe to the athletic they do really good work that is worth subscribing to and i think it's also free right now And that's going to do it for this week of Locked On Pelicans podcast. Thank you all for listening. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. And we'll be back with you all on Monday.